Well, good morning. Don't you love worshiping? Um, my name's Al. You can be seated. And look, when Brandon does announcements, my day goes just a little better. Do you know what I mean? Um, the elders are all gone in Honduras. I preach maybe once, uh, twice a year, and uh, usually on the day that James feels feels like I'll do the least amount of damage. So uh, let's pray. Father, there's been a lot of ministry going on this morning. Our impact team, our setup team, our sound team, um, and normally there'd be a children's ministry. Well, the children's ministry for the really young going on over in the nursery area. We praise you, Father, for all these teams. We praise you for the Honduras team uh, that's out there today. And we pray you'd empower every situation in a great way. And I ask you this morning, Father, man, you would speak this morning. Thank you for every single person that's here. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever seen the Antiques Roadshow? On TV, anybody seen that? All right, you know, yeah, great. A person brings their family heirloom, perhaps an old clock or a vase or a painting, and then they kind of submit it to be evaluated. And so a curator, like a museum expert, then recites the history, the origin, the time that it happened, and then, and then estimates the value. And oftentimes they come back, and the value is way greater than the person imagined. So the owner's like, yeah, this is great. And then sometimes when they do the value thing, maybe because the person has done like a do-it-yourself fix or they painted it or something like that, it doesn't really have the value, right? So this morning, as we look at uh, the book of James, the next passage in the book of James, what we're going to do is find out if my Christianity has any value. So James reveals three specific indicators on how to tell if my faith has value. Or as he says, is it worthless? Is it worthless? So whether young or older, put your faith to the test this morning. Evaluate your faith in religion. Let's look at James 1, 26 and 27. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, this would be you, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this person's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, the word for religious in both verse 26 and 27 refers to faith activities like uh, prayer, public worship, church attendance, fasting, anything we do, religious activities that we do, or you do, or I do. So, if you think you grade pretty well in your religious activities, your spiritual activities, you think. You're a pretty good Christian. Well, let's find out. Let's find out. And so the context of today's passage, of course, 126-27, comes right after last week's message, James 1-22-25, and this is what it said. Perhaps you remember it, right? Prove yourselves doers of the word and not 
merely hearers who what? Deceive themselves. I've heard the Word. I attend church. Hear a message. Listen to the teaching in a Bible study. But hearing, hearing without doing is meaningless. So I don't know how you're going to remember everything I'm saying this morning. James, everything he says on Sunday morning. So maybe you go and listen to a Bible study. I don't know how you're going to remember that. But my encouragement to you is, right, hearing without doing is meaningless. First of all, I didn't say it. Don't be mad at me. I just, I'm just reading it. Because we deceive ourselves. So James is, in this passage, is just reiterating what he said in the previous passage. But now with more specifics. Does your behavior in your Christian life your, um, either demonstrate your faith, show that you have faith, or does it show your faith is worthless? And so James gives us three tests. So this morning I'm going to cover those three tests. And there's a couple of side notes within the text I'm going to uh, mention at no extra cost to you. Okay. Do I think I'm a good Christian? I think so. Do you think you're a good Christian? So if you think you are, these three behaviors ought to be in your life. And here's test number one. Do I control my tongue? Do I control my tongue? If anyone thinks himself to be religious, you know, you have good spiritual life, yet does not bridle his tongue, but, what? There's that word again. But deceives his own heart. Fascinating that that's in there. This person's religion is worthless. I love direct people. I mean, James is just direct. And I, I love watching the commentators sometimes as they try to jump around James. Well, what James really meant, it, what James really meant, he just said. You know who James was, right? He was Jesus' brother or half-brother. Same mother. He hung around Jesus. There are 108 verses, I think that's what James said, 53 imperatives, which means 53 commands. He's very direct. And that's what he's saying. If we don't bridle our tongue, our religion, our faith is worthless. How about the sins of the tongue? I mean, I want you just to think about right now. The sins of the tongue. You know, I had a group, there were about 80 leaders, and I'm training 80 leaders, and I asked them to break up into groups and give me start to list out the sins of the tongue. Do you know that within five minutes of that exercise, we had 80 different sins listed up there. And here are a few of them. Gossip, bragging, swearing. By the way, that's low on the list for me. Some of you are going, wait, I'm, did, my kids are in here that, today. Hey, there's a lot of other ones on that list that are way worse. That's what I'm trying to say to you. That's bad. I'm not encouraging swearing. Parents, take that note. I'm just saying there's a lot worse, like the next one. Spreading strife. It's one of the six things the Lord hates. Complaining, lying, racism, berating people, filthy speech, horrible jokes, saying angry things, talking too much, saying mean things, false teaching, hatred, bitterness, vindictive, inappropriate jokes, jealousy. Can anyone else think of another one that I didn't mention? Right after, Yell it out if you can think of it. Anyone? A sin of the tongue? You're going, we don't normally yell out in church. I mean, we could go on and on. The sins of the tongue. And the idea there, bridle, 
The idea is very much like a bit in the mouth and a bridle on a horse. It curbs the activity of the head. That's what the word means. And, of course, then in this passage, it means to bridle or muzzle my tongue. Isaiah 6.5 says this. This is Isaiah, the prophet, said this. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. I mean, the sins that come from the tongue. I mean, is it really, is the tongue that big of a deal if I don't control it? The book of James, if you've noticed, says so much about the tongue. Chapter 1, verse 15 says, be slow to speak and quick to listen. There's one cure for the tongue. Just be a much better listener, right? I want to be a much better listener. And in James chapter 3, the entire chapter is about the... Be careful to be a teacher because, look, here's the problem with the tongue. Most of the entire chapter is on the danger of the tongue. This is what it says. It's impossible to tame the tongue. It sets on... Listen to this. Kids, listen to this. Your tongue sets on fire the course of your life. You say something. I'll do that with you. I'll go here with you. Sets on fire the course of your life. And, by the way, it says in, in, in James 3, is set on fire by hell. That's what it says. How dangerous the, the tongue is. Impossible to control it. And there's a huge list right there, right? Or at least there was on the last one. Um, gossiping. I've gossiped. I'm tempted to gossip. That's a big one to me. So then you ask yourself this question. I'm not asking you for a comparison, but maybe you can just dwell on this. What's worse, adultery or the gossip that spreads adultery all over? Um, God hates gossip. You know what I've learned about in my life? Why I gossip? It's a sin of pride. What I'm telling you is when I'm gossiping about a person, I am better than that person. That's what I'm telling you. And by that comparison, that's pride. So, I'm, you, know, what he, you know, what he said this morning, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Okay, what that does, I'm a little bit better than you. And that's why that, that really is a source of a lot of the reasons I'm, I gossip. Did you hear how they failed? I want to just encourage you, brothers and sisters, in this community that we have, that we would not tolerate gossip. We wouldn't put up with it. And I've, I've learned a few things about putting it to stop. Is one, I just don't participate. Somebody gossips to me about something, I just don't respond. I don't join in. I don't, I don't jump on. Or be silent. Or another thing I've learned that helps me is I provide an alternative for the person. So, you know what? Maybe the reason so-and-so is like that is because of this. That's loving. That's loving. Um, 
That's something that Soren Kierkegaard said. Who is he? doesn't matter. All right. So the second one, complaining. And this is a big one for me. I realized one day it was bothering me so much I kept hearing myself complaining. Anybody in here ever complain? You complain? Listen, so I thought, I appreciate that, Noah. That honesty, right? It's like, do you ever complain? I found myself complaining. I'm reading in the Scripture, it says, do not complain about anything. And I'm realizing that I'm complaining so much, I thought, I'm going to try to see if with God's help, I can go one day without complaining. So I prayed, oh God, help me today. By the way, you should try this. I really encourage you to try this, to go one day without complaining. And I'll have you know I lasted for 20 minutes. 20 minutes. You know in the Exodus, in uh, Exodus 15, after God did all these miracles, do you know they did this song and dance, Miriam's dance, do you know how many verses it took before they started complaining? Three. Wow, the sin of the tongue with complaining. Do you complain? I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it for an hour. Oh, God, held my tongue. James 3, as I said, says it sets on fire the course of our lives. What great a forest is set aflame by such a small, small fire. You say yes to a friend. You want to be liked. You agree to do something. We make big decisions with our tongue. And they can direct us and affect us for a long time. Brothers and sisters, I just want to say this to you. Keep fighting. The tongue is a battle. The very world of iniquity. And I've been around Christian faith for a long time and leaders. And in our small ministry, we have the privilege of mentoring, training leaders from all over. We've been doing it for three, three decades. And you know what I've seen about, you know what I have seen about men and women that God uses to bear fruit. There's two things that I see about them. The the reason that God keeps from bearing fruit in their life is one, they have zero control over their tongue. They'd rather tell other people about, about someone else than go directly to the person. So they're in, in all these other sins of the tongue. They have no control. They don't they don't keep battling the battle. That's one thing. But I want to encourage you, keep battling to bridle. The tongue, a daily battle for me, for sure. But the second one along with this, not one of the three tests I'm going to give, is self-deception or self-awareness. Those two things. If you want to bear more fruit as a Christian leader, as a Christian in life, control the tongue. Oh God, help me get better control over the tongue every day. And the second one is, no fooling myself. No tricking myself. You see, I believe I'm very spiritual, right? So within the text it says this, yet does not bridle his tongue, but what? Deceives his own heart. Did you know that? I mean, do you fool yourself? Do you fool yourself? I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it, that he talks about, in that word in the Greek, this word deceive, there's two English words deceive from the last passage, deceive. This particular word means to cheat yourself. You heard that phrase, maybe some, well, you're only cheating yourself. 
right? Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The very central point of spirituality comes from the heart, whether good or bad. It's the deepest inside the heart in the Scripture. is the deepest spiritual part of us, whether good or bad. And that's why it says this in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the what pure in heart. For they shall see God. The purer I can keep my heart, the more I will experience. And I'll see something, actually means in the Greek, to see something remarkable. I'll see something remarkable and experience God in a remarkable way. But here's the, here's the deal. To know Him at this will help you to know God at a deeper level. It helps me. But often it means I have to quit Tricking myself. Lying to myself. You know, golf is one of those sports that lends itself to self-deception. At least it does for me. And I used to live in Lenore, North Carolina for many years, and I was talking with the local golf pro, and we were just talking. I said, yeah, I hit the ball about 250 yards, and he, he kind of stopped. But now that's, a, that's pretty far. Hit it too. Eli's going, that isn't very far. Uh, but he said, that's pretty far. He probably saw me hit. And so then I go, hmm, maybe I don't hit it that far. And so I'm sitting in the driving range, at a driving range where you practice hitting balls and hitting distance, and there's a 200-yard marker out there, and there's this kid, I know him, actually his name is Eli, he's in, at this Lenore Golf Club, and he's collecting all the balls after they're hit in the driving range, and so he's putting them back, and he's standing about 200-plus yards right out there, and I'm hitting my driver. Eli, I'm trying to get his attention. I am going to hit you. That is dangerous. He comes back to me, really calm. Mr. Newell, he said, you know, I was standing out there just beyond the 200-yard mark, and he says, none of those balls were coming even close to me. <laughs> I'm perfectly safe. Thank you. I'm actually better now. All right. Shakespeare said this, Above all else, to thine own self be true. So much of knowing God is being honest, having an accurate view of myself. You ever do a ruthless self-inventory? Would you be afraid to do that? How much do you talk? I mean, it's one thing to think I'm a great listener. It's another thing to actually measure that out and check it out. How much do you eat? How much do you drink? How much TV sports do you watch? How much YouTube? Do you watch things you shouldn't? Here's the thing. Psalm 51.10 says, The Lord desires truth in the innermost being. I was saying for years I had put on 5 to 10 pounds. And I just kept saying it. This is back in 2013. And my daughter, Becca, she's one of the most incredible people. I love her. And she said to me, Hey, Dad, when's the last time you've actually gotten on a scale? <laughs> and so I did. And my 5 to 10 pounds was not 5 to 10 pounds. And it wasn't 15 pounds. It wasn't 20 pounds. It was 25 pounds. But I was living under the deception that it was only 5 to 10 pounds. Nothing like a child to awaken our self-deceit. 
right? Kids, let me ask you something. Is there anything you hide from your parents? Anything you hide from your parents? Maybe there's doubts, food, something something you watch, some behavior in your life. First, I want everyone in your mind just to complete this statement. Would you do this? If someone found out I was doing blank, I'd be really embarrassed, humiliated. I mean, were you able to fill in that blank immediately? And this would be really embarrassing. I wouldn't want anybody to know this. Those are the kind of things, that self-awareness, transparency. You want to grow with Christ. Huge parts of Christian maturity are transparency. The Christian life battle for me is allowing God, the curator, to sift me and to show me where, again, I might be fooling myself and lying to myself in my heart. It's a constant battle because, again, as we read in Jeremiah, who can know the heart? It's deceitful, desperately sick. And you know what? Much of my self-deception is rooted in fear. So each morning... When I go out, and I tell you kids, I found this to be powerful. Bring your fears to a conscious level. And be able just on your walk, on whatever you're doing, to be able to say to Him, God, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid to tell my mom this. I'm afraid to tell my dad this. I'm afraid of this. And parents, the same thing. I, this, is, this is me in the morning. I'm afraid I don't have time to prepare for this message. I'm afraid my wife's working too hard. I'm afraid her flights aren't going to get back in time. I'm afraid we're not going to make it through July. I'm afraid for my grandkids, my kids. I need a break. Oh, God, help me. Those were yesterdays as I go out to be with the Lord. It's so refreshing. And you want it's freedom, right? It's July 4th. You know, I love the freedom in Christ that that brings to my soul. To be able just to tell Him every single fear that I have in the morning and walk to Him and say, this is what I'm afraid of. When I think there's no solution, His love brings an incredible solution to me. Again, two things that keep leaders, Christians, from bearing fruit. No control of the tongue and fooling myself back to the test. Here we go. So if I don't bridle my tongue, my religion is worthless. So that's what good religion is not. But what is good religion or pure and undefiled religion? Well, very clearly in the text, it's nice that it's so simple. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, uh, in sight of our God and Father. Before we go into the specific of that, this is the other side note I want to mention to you, is that phrase, in the sight of our God and Father. In the sight of God. It's powerful for me to understand the presence of God. And so in my life, um, the question is, I can keep fooling myself, but God is watching. I can pretend all these outward religious spiritual activities, but God sees me. And so this is just something that helps me. I wish I did it all the time, but I don't. Speak like God and others are always listening. In your home, speak like God and others are always listening and behave like God is always watching. He is. And He loves us. He's for us. Test number two, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress 
This is God's perspective. That's why this is important. God is saying from His perspective, this is what's important. This is pure You want pure religion? You want to know what really matters? This is what really matters to God. His perspective that we um, minister to orphans and widows in their distress. This is what our faith behavior ought to look like. Do I act when I see a person in need? Okay, what do we do? There it is. We visit. And the, the idea in the Greek is to inspect the situation. I go toward it. So if there's a need, I don't run away from it. That's often what I want to do. I'm too busy. I, I want to run away. So I want to go toward it. The idea is I step toward the situation. When do I, excuse me, who do I do this with? Orphans and widows, the most vulnerable in our time, the fire, in that time that it was shared. Uh, those who have no one else. Well, let me ask you, who are the most vulnerable in our society right now? How about around you? Who are the most vulnerable around you? So, and then when do I do it? In their distress, meaning at the time they have a need. On December 18th, um, Wendy's sister lost her husband. Her younger sister lost her husband due to COVID. He was 61. He was my first friend in high school. And uh, Wendy went out when the COVID got really bad. She went out to be with her sister for a week. Um, when he died, she went back for a week or ten days. And, you know, ever since that time, or most days of that time, she's been on the phone with her an hour and oftentimes even two hours a day to minister. Okay, Wendy literally has about two full-time jobs she's trying to perform because COVID also kind of robbed us of one of our teammates. Not She didn't die. She just couldn't work for us anymore because of COVID. Uh, and my point is simply this, is it just happened. And Wendy has made time. You say, well, it's your sister. Well, what's interesting is I would say, I would venture to say their time together and talk in the last seven months has been more than it's been in the last 20 years combined. Why? Because she, she's because Sandy, her sister, is in great need. She lost her husband of 36, 7 years. Do you know what a tragic loss that would be? Some of you may know that. She's a mess. Who wouldn't be? You love your spouse and you lose your spouse. Wouldn't you be in a mess? I would be. But you know, during that time, that passage came to life for us. That's what pure religion is like. You meet the widow's need in, in their distress. Now listen, this passage could mean anyone, the most vulnerable, anyone who is in desperate need. You know what? This could be people with a physical or mental challenge. Now, I did this small... I was leading this Bible study, and there was these four guys in the Bible study. They were great at home repair. You know what I mean? Any of you really good at home repair? Like, you can do home repair, raise your hands. Like, you know how to do small home repairs? Listen, maybe I'm in a group of like-minded people. How many of you are dum-dums at home repair? Raise your hand. Look at that. I'm with you. I didn't understand that we would have so many like me. 
But that's the way I am. I'm a dum-dum with home repair. So these guys are in my Bible study, but I thought, hey, to get them more involved, let's do a, a small home repair ministry because they could all do it. They love doing it. And so what we did is we called up this food pantry and got referrals. We got referrals of widows or women, single moms, who weren't, couldn't really do it themselves. And so we would go around, get the referral list, go out, repair, small repairs. And my job was to go fetch the tools, do that, kind of do that, and also to talk and listen to the story of the person. I go listen to their story, pray for them, and if appropriate, invite them, share the gospel with them, invite them to church. All right? So we're, we're at this one house, and so two of the guys are repairing the women's toilets and faucets, and I'm talking with the woman, listening to her story. And I said, do you have a faith background? She says, yes, but she says it with no enthusiasm at all. Are you a part of a church? Then she starts. My son has multiple disabilities. Because of that, my husband left me. My job, my entire life, 24-7, is to be with my son. If I'm not changing him, feeding him, I'm on the phone advocating for him. The only time the church, and she names the big church down the road that everyone thinks is a great church, and she says the only time they want to talk to me is when they invite me to go to church. I can't go to church. I need a break. My mouth dropped. I'm thinking it's a good thing I didn't invite her to church. Wow, that experience opened my eyes. Listen, moms, parents, families, those of you where there's a lot of suffering in your family or there's been a lot of suffering and a lot of focus on maybe your situation is just like this. You have a severe challenge. And I know this, no one could possibly understand what you deal with. You know, Wendy and I say this all the time. We, we look at just sincere as we can be. These are the great saints of our time. They're not the great pastor who wrote the book or you know, has the Ph.D. or that sort of thing. These are the great saints of our time. You better get to know them because you're going to learn it later. <laughs> These are the servants that we hope will be on their team in heaven. So test number two is, do I act when I see needs, especially those are the most vulnerable? You know what I love about Christ Point? You know what I love about this group of people here? You know, our elders are in Honduras working with a mission that works with orphans or kids in difficult situations, the Children's Impact Network. We do this with OCC, where the gospel is shared. That's what I love about you, how you so quickly rally to serve other people that are poor, that are needy. You move acts or excuse me, one seven ministry. Our partnerships reflect this. That's what I love about you. But also what I love is for some reason that families with a disability feel comfortable here. Test number three and the last one. Keeping myself stained free. Keeping oneself unstained by the world. Now I'm from South Omaha, so I roll my ear of corn in the butter stick. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are really like going, no, you don't. I do when Wendy's not looking. 
She was from West Omaha. That's a whole different neighborhood. Being from South Omaha, though, that's what you would do. And look, the way I eat oftentimes, does anybody here eat? Listen, I get stuff on my shirts all the time. It's not an, I wish it were an age thing. I could make that excuse that it's an age thing. It's not. I've been like this all the time. I eat stuff and stuff gets on my, uh-oh, there's a stain. Anybody, come on, anybody in here ever do that? Thank you. The few of you, yes, that do that. Listen, um, you ever get a stain on your clothes, on your carpet? There are temporary stains and there are permanent stains. Test number three, do you keep yourself unstained by the world? And one commentator said this is the most important part of the verse. The word for world is the word cosmos in the Greek. And this is what it means. It means the world system set in opposition to God. Let me repeat that. It means the world system set in opposition to God. I'm going to read these couple verses. Listen to these verses. Brothers and sisters, this is me and you. 1 John 2, 15-17 Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and I'm skipping a few words here, is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is what? Passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Listen to this, Luke 16, 14, and 15. Again, cutting out some of the words, but getting to just the key ones. Jesus said to the Pharisees, who were what? Lovers of money. God knows your hearts, because that which is highly esteemed among people is detestable in the sight of God. Money, fame, sports, taking care of the body, food, sexuality, YouTube, music. Are any of these things wrong in and of themselves? No. But brothers and kids and parents, all of these things must be enjoyed and they must take place within the parameters of the Word of God. You're going you're gonna to spill something. You're going to get a stain on you, just like I get stains on me. You're going to get it on your brand new shoes. You're going to stain your clothing, your carpet. You can't avoid being stained by the values of the world. I'm going to give you five very quick ways to keep unstained. Number one, recognize where the stains come from. You want to keep yourself unstained, you have to recognize. You know where they come from? They come from the values of the world whether it's through YouTube, whether it's through TV, whether it's through sports, the values that are shared collide with our faith. Do you know what I'm talking about? They collide and they spill onto us. Of course, and it's happening more and more. I'm getting stained by the values. So recognize where the stains come from. The second thing is realize this, that all the world's values are passing away. All those things that they think are great are passing away. It's an illusion. Security, money, pursuits, just like we read in in, uh, James 1, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Three, deal with the temporary stains. quickly so you've been stained you ever anybody here ever use resolve is that thank you isn't that the the coolest thing ever now if you're way back for us like back in the day when 
you know, we would just, if you spilled something on a carpet and it was a permanent stain, you just had to get rid of the carpet. Resolve! It's a miracle! Okay, the cool thing about God is, right, if kids, adults, if you have been adopting some poor values in your home, adopting some poor values um, from the things you do, your behavior, something like that, and maybe they're things that your parents don't know or your kids don't know. You've been dabbling a little too much, valuing the things of the world. Maybe they've become super attractive to you. Confess it, resolve it quickly. And I want to say this to you kids, and I hope you'll hear me. Parents, I hope you'll hear me on this. What if you have weird thoughts? You're a kid. You're a teenager. You're raised in a Christian home. Maybe you're not. And you have some really strange thoughts. Here's my encouragement to you. Talk to somebody about your weird thoughts. I've met some of your parents. They're weird. You know what? They've had weird thoughts. Don't let, those, don't let the world tell you and interpret strange thoughts. Get the Bible's perspective, but all all of us have weird thoughts. They must be sifted by the Word of God and not by your friend's approval. Number four, permanent stains. Maybe there's a permanent stain on some of you. Like you're so deep into something, so dark, you feel stuck, you can't get out. It may require you have to make a radical change, throw something out. Maybe there's deep repentance that's needed. Maybe you have to cut something out before your life or family is ruined. You may have to cut your access, get rid of a friend, maybe change jobs, change the channel. i just say this to you. God's grace is ready for you when you are ready to do that. And the last thing is this. best way to keep unstained is to do the do's and you won't have time to do the don'ts. Value what God values. 1 John 2.17 says, But the one who does the will of God abides uh, forever. This is pure and undefiled religion. So do those things that are pure and undefiled religion, serving the vulnerable. I love the way our kids serve around this church. I love that our kids are in, uh, some kids are in Honduras. I just absolutely love that. That's so cool. That will keep us from um, getting stained. But the cool thing about that is, and Scripture teaches this, it assures my soul when I serve others that my faith has real value. I mean, it's just like the whole book of 1 John and James says the same thing, but listen to this specifically. 1 John three eighteen and 19. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before Him. Well, did you pass the test? Let's pray. Father, uh, and I just ask, I want to encourage you this morning, as I'm praying these different things that I've mentioned this morning, if that's you, you know, maybe you just kind of agree with amen, or maybe maybe you just be able to say it to yourself without talking loud or out loud. But just agree heartily. Father God, I worship you. I beg you, Father, would you give me grace to control my tongue 
every day. Father, I ask You, I thank You so much. Would You please help me to quit tricking myself, fooling myself, that I'd be more and more transparent with You with all my thoughts, that I would desire continually to have a pure heart, uncover my motives. Father, keep my heart sensitive and willing to respond to pressing needs. And help me, Father, to recognize where these stains come from. The values of my friends or TV or things I do. And help me to resolve them quickly with confession. And I know you are there to greet me every time I do. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us?